The following episode of the Carnival of Randomness is sponsored by an important message to you, the people from Upsetnik and Associates. Every day there are forces that are taking from you, stealing from you. Your money, your time, your freedom. Immense faceless corporations, banks, credit card companies, insurance providers, government agencies, this list goes on and on. When you are under attack and facing crisis, turn to us, Upsitnik and Associates, attorneys for you, the people. When every day becomes a battle, we can advise and assist. We have been advocates for 40 years. Email us through UpsitniksLaw.com or call us at 1-866-391-3299 or reach out to us through Upsitnik and Associates on Facebook for a prompt, no obligation, communication and consultation. Don't be pushed around. Soon. Hello, everybody. I think we're being interrupted before we start here. This is ah. an episode of Carnival of Randomness again. And we're talking movies, filmmaking, and everything, though it is not necessarily talking shit. No. Though somebody may say shit. <laughs> so it's me, as always, Rob and Isaac. Well, shit. And then we have Greg number one, who's been here. <laughs> Hello. And then we have Greg number two. Hello. <laughs> I'm always talking shit. Yeah. So, actually, one of the questions I was going to ask about is, I know, Greg, you were talking about... Humphrey Bogart, some of the films you've seen, you said he's actually very funny. He, he was. It was a kind of a weird mix-up of a movie called uh, All Through the Night. And Bogie plays this, like, he's like this sh- slick guy. In the, it's kind of like in the war era, so World War II era, so, you know, things are tight. And he's like, apparently he, like, plays the races, and he's like a he's like a gambling guy, and he helps out. He's got a bunch of these cronies, who also, in the movie, was Jackie C. Gleason, who is obviously Jackie Gleason, but he's spouting off one-liners left and right. And it's interesting to see him in a younger, you know, period. And uh, William Demarest, I mean, I just had a great lineup of characters. Anyway... So he has this like little gang of buddies that, and and then they get involved. There's this Nazi thing, and you know they find it. There's a body in a bakery. It's all kinds of weird stuff. But anyway, talk the, about your buns. <laughs> the the line I was telling you about was that they're going through this warehouse and they see this picture of of Hitler and they start to put it together. Right, that these guys are fifth columnists and all that. And he goes, there's more here than meets the FBI. So I thought that was a good line. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing. Is it really, you consider how movies are made now, is it the end of the iconic actor, really? I don't think so. I think Brad Pitt, George Clooney, I think those are guys that are pretty much iconic actors. I mean, they're like the smooth leading men guys. And then you got, you know, you got the different types. You've got Daniel Craig and... I mean, they're around. I think it's just that they're, it's a niche more now than it used to be. One of the things, I mean, I was thinking in terms of, like, how they have all these huge blockbusters and superhero movies. It almost seems they could plug somebody in. Like, it's not like somebody, you know, I think if they're going to do something good, they need the right person. But now I think they look more like, okay, we're going to put the movie out, the franchise. We'll get who we get. Yeah, well, I mean, it is still hit and miss. I mean, I guess you ever see those old, uh, the old... The, the, the Christopher Reeve Superman, the old one, the Richard Donner. Did you ever see the screen test for the guys that they got <laughs> tried before him? It's important that you find the right person. So Oh, definitely. They I used that, what was it, the 
the producer's dent no somebody's dentist husband that they, there's a there's a screen test with him and he's like doing a scene he's like it's pretty funny but here's a little question <laughs> for both of you maybe because we're talking about films i remember reading i think it was in film comment or somewhere that they considered maybe 50 years from now the two actors that would be remembered most would be bogart and jack nicholson do you think anybody from these days people are going to look back on really go this guy really sticks out or not well, I mean, are we just talking men or are we talking women anybody, as well? Anybody, anybody. When I, I mean, say actors, I mean everybody. Obviously, we have Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, right, he's a big one. You know, and I, I think as far as leading men go, I think DiCaprio has established himself as being as versatile as anyone. I mean, if you jump from, you know, Gilbert Grape all the way through. I mean, Titanic's painful. I'll never watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if, if you jump into movies like From the Aviator up to, you know, what he did in The Departed to what he did in Once great. Upon a Time in Hollywood, and obviously he deserved his Academy Award and Revenant, whether or not you like the movie. But um, I agree. Just from He's freezing great. out there and everything, so, too. But, I mean, I'm trying to keep track. I mean, you obviously have Meryl Streep. Um, I was actually never a big Meryl Streep fan until, I think, in her last, the last 10 years when she jumped from um, Devil Wears Prada to Doubt to The Iron Lady and... She's jumped through some of those movies. I've never seen Ironweed, though, so that's something. I hear it was slow. <laughs> Ironweed? Yeah. Well, Jack Nicholson's in that, so. Yeah. <coughs> but no. But. Well, what do you consider, when you say, would, from this time, would people look back on? You mean, the, are live and acting now or of a certain age? Yeah. I mean, what's the age range we Well, here, let's so. say newer act, because if I we mean, Olivia, Olivia de Havilland's still alive. She's 102. Yeah. Yeah, she's 102. Somebody would be also got, like, you know, Judy Dench and Maggie Smith and all them. Yeah. So that's you know. true. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that older vanguard of stage actors that are, you know, that's where they came up. And that's a whole different thing. When you're a stage actor and you're and you go to film, I think you, you have a different you, you just pre, you just present yourself differently. It's a different training. It's a different way of doing things. You know, you can tell a good stage actor because they can just stand there and act. And they don't have to say a damn thing. <laughs> And I agree with him, with uh, Greg here. He's uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, you know what I thought was a great movie, which was out, really out of her realm, was that Death Becomes Her. Have you seen? Did you see? Oh, it? the one with uh, Bruce Willis and, and Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah. oh my God, that was a great movie. It was dark as hell, funny. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, real funny. It was a really good one. Was that mid '90s? I think. It yeah. was early '90s. It was like late '80s, early '90s. It's kind of like an Adams Family-ish sort of macabre thing. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I like movies like that. A lot of times, as a general rule, if movies get panned, I want to go see them. Because I figure if nobody's getting it, I might, I'll but probably that's a get good it. Question. That's a good question to actually bring up. Are there, like, anything recently, non-recently, movie that got really crap reviews at panned, but you think is really great? Well, I don't read reviews, so there's no point of reference. Well, just, so, uh, I don't either. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. What is something that people hated? So, Spice Girls movie. Uh, oh Jesus! I don't know if I can get through that movie. So. No, actually, that's a good one. Has there, there been any like really that you just said I can't get through this and you had to stop? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, we've tried a lot of times. Or, or the ever popular, you watch a movie and you're halfway through it and then you realize you've seen it, but it was so bad you blocked it out. Yeah. <laughs> That happens to me often. But there's, some, there's a little question I was going to bring up. This came from Quentin Tarantino, actually, and I just wanted your thoughts on this. He said the worst decades for filmmaking were the 1980s and the 1950s. I okay. think he's full of shit. 
I'm 19... just going to throw that out there. 1980s was No, awful. what he said about the 1980s was that the one thing he did like were the silly comedies. Well, yeah. That was the one thing. Would otherwise... Silly comedies and camp action movies. What I else think, did you need? I think both decades were kind of fluffy. Um, but, I mean, Rear Window was in the 50s, and a lot of Hitchcock's movies were in the 50s. I don't know when he made... Uh, Hitchcock made Shadow of the Doubt, North by Northwest. 40s. No, well, Rear 40s. Window was 55. Right, yeah. but Shadow of the Doubt was 48-ish. Okay. 48. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. So, and I'm trying to think of, like... Most of his stuff was 60s. It's North Some by of those Orson Welles movies, I think they're all 40s. Lady of Shanghai, Magnificent Emersons. Emersons was yeah. 40s. Um, well, On the Waterfront was what, 53? I think The Stranger yeah, was I, in the 50s. I don't know, Waterfront On the Waterfront was in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have Streetcar Named Desire. You know, I've tried to watch Lady from Shanghai a few times. I have it, and I just, like, it, it's fairly slow. It's good, mm-hmm. and it's just I've never gotten through it. And mm-hmm. it looks like a cool movie, though, especially the thing with the mirror, the Hall of Mirror thing. Yeah. That's like like Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, and all. You think that's considered one of the great things because of the the photography? I told you I thought Orson Welles would make the best Batman ever. Yeah, well, Bruce Wayne, more more Bruce Wayne. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, not this bastard. (laughs) So we've been trying to come up with a quintessential like Bruce Wayne. We think Orson Welles has that kind of detached like. Would they catch him though when he had the mask on because of the voice? (laughs) (laughs) Your voice is too distinctive. Yeah, actually, would be. I mean, that was actually a good. You know, Orson Welles is Batman. Yeah, that's. Because remember, Bill Murray was going to be Batman in the 80s in a musical comedy for a while. No. Yeah, for real. Oh, my God. Well, there we go, Bill Murray. Was Groundhog Day in the 80s or the 90s? 91, 92. Meatballs. That That is my answer to that statement. Meatballs was in the the late 70s, though? No, I thought it was like 82. It might have been remember. before, but I guess in Meatballs, the reason they called it Meatballs, they were going to call it Summer Camp, but there was a name that was there to use. So Meatballs, they decided it was like the stock lunch and dinner you would get at Pab. Yeah. So that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you know Orson Welles was originally on The Shadow, the radio? He did The Shadow yep. back in the late 30s. So he started on the Mercury Theater, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And all those. Is there any, like, because actually one of the ones I like of his is The Stranger. Okay. Yeah, that's an awesome movie. That's yeah, really, no, really Stranger's good. Stranger's a good movie. Because I had one, I, I'd go in streaks in like a year ago or so, I just got out and I watched a whole bunch of Orson Welles movies. I mean, The Third Man's one of my favorites, but I mean, yeah. he didn't direct that. That was Carol Reed. So. I mean, Charlton Heston is a Mexican? <laughs> right, I know, that one's a, a, that's Say a stretch. Ed Wood. That's from Ed Wood, right? Yeah. Okay. What was worse, Charlton Heston is a Mexican or... Uh, John Wayne is Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Andy Rooney is uh, an Asian. But you gotta like oh, a movie, Jesus, Third Man. One. You gotta like a movie with a zither soundtrack. I mean, how many movies have a zither soundtrack? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. that's a fair point. There's probably a reason. That's for the that. great theme, the third, the Third Man theme. Yeah. That. But this scene cool. these days, I mean, probably the difference that you consider this is the age of the blockbuster and the big comic book movie and everything. Well. And it, you know, it's funny. It's actually the reason the blockbusters is because of digital, and it's not even just the computers. It's um, like the studios have found if they if they make a twenty million dollar film, they're competing with people who make a hundred thousand dollar film. But if they make a two hundred and forty million dollar film, they're competing with no one. So um, that's why they're basically focusing on Good that. Point. They made a shift from doing about forty fifty movies a year down to about twelve. Just because they don't want to compete with people who can, 
you know, make a film for twenty thousand dollars. It's like it's too much of a financial risk. Yeah, the so. indie the independent guys are starting to sh- get them nervous. Yeah, and that's, so, uh, that's and I think rightfully so. And we were talking earlier about streaming services. <clears throat> you know, the streaming service is going to be the downfall of the film festival. Yeah, right. And rightfully so. Good for them. But that's partially people's fault too. People are getting lazy. They don't want to go out. Yeah, they I don't want, want instant gratification. I want to push three buttons and watch a movie now. Yeah, you know, I don't really want. I'm in my house enough. I want to get out and, and see it. You know, and I mean, it's you know, blizzards be damned. You know, I want to. <laughs> I, I'd much rather see a movie in a theater. You know? well, I've always thought about movies seeing it in a theater with the this big screen and the and the sound system. It can make a mediocre movie good and a good movie great. Right. Just see, because like I saw the one I didn't care for, but I saw Avatar. I watched it at home. People like, oh, it was so good in the theater. I could see why in the theater that would be fantastic. But yeah, movie wise, I didn't care. I don't for know. It. I started watching that. And speaking of the streaming, my girlfriend she got she signed up for the Disney thing. So and we I watched that for a little bit because I had kind of forgotten the plot. And and it's a, still, it's a very interesting concept, and it's very otherworldly, and that's why it's such a cool movie because it's like you're just watching it, and you're just going, "What the?" You know, it's like it's like it takes you somewhere very different. It's like a completely different world, so to speak. When I heard about Avatar when it came out, and I lived by a theater, and I guess for months you couldn't get into the IMAX 3D, but they said if you saw it in that, it would almost look like when. You're going down the waterfall. You're doing all this. Right. right. Yeah. I've only seen it on television. So. I saw it and it once yeah, was yeah. enough. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's it's Fern Gully. I've I've avoided <laughs> every James Cameron script after the Terminator, so <laughs> you still probably hold Piranha Deer, I hope. Yeah. Piranha? I don't know Piranha. I don't even know if that I've was seen the that. early one he did. Mm-hmm. It was like, like before you, Terminator. You always forget that and I think he's not upset that people forget that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He probably wants to put the uh, the abyss out of his mind after Ed Harris gave him a taste of his hand. But that's one thing. I mean, I've dabbled in filmmaking a little bit. Greg's done films, and that's one thing I was going to ask. I think you'd actually like Greg Number Two's film. He's done movies. 3.14, right? 3.14. And now when you did, part of it, too, is... I would say, what, like, well, where did you come up about doing this? Why did you just enjoy, you know? Um, actually, the way it, um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and as trite as it sounds, my, uh, I have a friend, he works in applied science. He was getting his PhD in applied science when I was in college, so I used to hang out with physicists. And he's from Russia, and he called me up, and he's like, oh, my God, I had this dream. And it was basically a straight linear climatic plot. And I was like, okay, I'll write it down. So I like wrote it down and I was like, cool. And I was sitting at the bar a couple years later and some guy was started talking to me about this desert property. And I'm like, oh my God, this sounds like the perfect location for my film. So he took me out there and it worked well. The issue was that it was probably only a short and it was only going to run about um, 30 to 40 minutes. So I... I kind of did a deconstructed plot, and um, so we blocked it off, and it's kind of like three or four different plots in its own way, and um, that was the way we funded it and was able to turn it into a feature. And um, so we shot half of it here in Rochester and half of it in What was it called? 3.14. So we're uh, we're recutting it now. We're actually going to be putting it up on Amazon. I admit, too, there's just something still when you see something... Dogtown. Oh yeah, no, that's fun seeing some of the. I, 
Man, we must have shot at like 20 different local places. I mean, from jumping from Mount Hope Cemetery to, you know, the courthouse where Susan B. Anthony had her trial. And so it was kind of neat jumping around. I think we shot at Temple Sinai at Penfold. Well, I know we shot there. So, um, yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a good way to learn a lot of different Rochester Thing, locations. I never, I never heard of this. There's a movie called After, and I just found it recently. Okay, yeah, I've and, heard of it. Oh, you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And I did not realize it's shot in Rochester. Yeah. It's basically, it's a case of it's after 9-11, oh, wow. and it's a family, there's a business, and the family's sort of falling apart, and there's a secret I, that's going to yeah. come out that's going to sort of like really wreck the family. I'll, I'll have to look for that movie. I mean, there's... I've never heard of I, that. I, I just found it by accident. And the whole story's about the one guy, the one, the female in the story, her father doesn't want her to marry the person she's engaged to basically because he's very conservative and he's a capitalist and he does not think he'll be able to provide for it. He wants to go, he's actually wanting to go to RIT. That's his big thing. He's going to go study at RIT. Okay. And... After that, I'm looking around, saying, "Wait a second! I think I know that bar." I know yeah. And in a way, it's distracts, but it's like, "Wait a second! This is kind of cool." I think they shot at Bomba Bistro, which is now Oxenstone. Oxenstone. Yeah. The weird thing yeah, about was, it is, I saw which, it. At if first. you didn't know this, I, the Rio Bomba, which was like yeah. probably the fine dining. Yeah, that's the cool. doors once ate there, which was kind of cool. So. Yeah, really? they did. The yeah, I threw up oh. in the parking lot one time when I was drunk. I saw. I saw. Well, I, I saw field sobriety test. I saw a field sobriety. Can't test unsee that now. <laughs> no, I saw a field sobriety test occur in that parking lot. Yes, yeah, yeah, we used to see that all the time. That was hilarious. We worked like around there at the real Bamba. Yeah, yeah, it was late at night, and yeah, and the the guy started arguing with the cop. It was. We're like, no, don't argue. I know. Like the cop hears us and looks like, shut up. My one of my old bosses. Um, Jerry Varasi, who was co-owner of Tuline, he told me a story. He was working at Rio Bamba as a shoe chef in the 60s, and there was a 24-hour convenience store there. I don't know if any of you guys were alive back then. I can't. But he said it was the first 24-hour convenience store. He got off work one night. I think he was smoking, and he went to go buy cigarettes. Jimi Hendrix was in there. So that Whoa, was, wow. Yeah. That had to be a long time, obviously. Yeah. I don't remember a store ever being there. I don't remember that either. I don't. You know, I was born... Later, yeah, because so. I remember it was Rio, it was huh. Rio Bamba, wasn't it? Rio Bamba Bistro, yeah, Rio Bamba to Bamba Bistro to Oxenstone, yeah. So, yeah. And I but, believe it's still Oxenstone, yeah, it's yeah. still Oxenstone, yeah. but see, that's always interesting. I ate there once, food was really good, yeah. yeah, but that's always interesting. And in terms of that, like the challenges of like that kind of filmmaking, though, I know for us, like even like raising the funds and everything was always a pain in the rear. Yeah, yeah did you ever hear there was actually. The, son, the movie Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, mm-hmm. which I've seen more than once. I love that movie. And the thing about that, the director came to the Eastman one time. And he was talking. The way they did it, it took years to shoot because they would just shoot like at a friend's bar on the weekends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, your best way to do it, which is what we had did, um, you have all your money down. I mean, it just makes it easier, and then you shoot right through. Yeah. Um, you know. The biggest challenge is you got to learn the market. You got to know how to make your money. If you can convince investors that they're going to get their money back, I think it's easier easier to raise money. It's got to be a big job. I can't even imagine. I mean, if your name was Harvey Weinstein before all your issues, (laughs) it was a lot easier to do that. But you know, so. But also, when you script, did you just add libido, or did you really have it written out? Did it go the way you expected it to go? And the way I, reason I say that is, a lot of times, like I'll come up with an idea, 
And by the time it's done, it's like I start here, it's here, because it sort of takes a life of its own. No, there were, like, times where we had to make adjustments, but nothing that, like, um, that scene I just showed you, which was, like, the motorcycle scene with the zebras. Um, the, we were shooting in the Alabama Hills, which is in Lone Pine, California, and um, there was actually a commercial shooting. And they found out that the commercial wanted to shoot a 360, and which changed our location so we literally had to find a different location at like eight o'clock in the morning so then we completely redesigned the entire um the entire scene just because boom like all of a sudden okay it's different from what we imagined but i think it actually worked in our in our best interest so you know yeah it does happen i'm a big fan of improv um like i wouldn't say stray from your script too much but at the same time i find when I used to do improv exercises and acting classes, I think the benefit of that is just everything seems more lifelike and spontaneous. And if you have people that are just adhering to a script, it can, you know, sometimes you lose that spontaneity. Well, Marlon, Marlon Brando said, I guess, like, he didn't memorize lines. He said he did them fed to him because that's the way people talk. I heard when he did some of his scenes in The Godfather that he was looking at cue cards. Yeah. So um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I never really worked with him. Yeah. <laughs> He's a weird guy. He's like, yeah. one of those, I consider him like one of my all-time top actors. Right. Weird individual. <laughs> I heard an interview with yeah. Billy Bob Thornton once, and he said he's got some sort of a reading issue, like dyslexia type thing. He has to have an aide. He has to have an, somebody, an assistant, read him the stuff. Right. He has to, like memorize everything I actually did a scene with Billy Bob Thornton when I was in LA it was in Bad Santa they were doing reshoots for Bad Santa I don't know if you saw the movie yes oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome it was kind of a real I was doing background it was a really cushy gig because it was like the scene where he you know he makes all his money and then he goes off to Florida and he's like drinking his money away do you remember this <laughs> yeah. so it's the scene we were there on the beach when it's the scene where he jumps over the bar and it looks like he's the bartender but he's really making his own you know <laughs> so I was there during that so but he only had like two lines so I hope he can memorize that so yeah. I don't really have an issue with my that. cousin used to do that stuff he was, he's out in LA now he, he's an occupational therapist but he did a bunch of background acting yeah, it's he's, fun you know he gets got to be his sad card and all that yeah. stuff <laughs> It's also fun there. That scene's great because you think, okay, he's got his money, he owns the bar, and then you realize that he blew his money. Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny movie. I, I like really irreverent humor like that. Yeah. That's probably the funniest movie I've seen in maybe 20 years. I'm trying to think of anything else. That, I, that actually, that one for me is up there. That's just, yeah. Yeah. it's really just, I laughed a lot, and I don't laugh at a Who, lot of Whoever movies. cast that little kid was pretty brilliant. So that Well, was, I guess yeah. what they did when they saw him, they just saw the kid, and they said, that's the guy. That's the kid, man. <laughs> just by the look, Herman Merman. <laughs> Herman Merman. <laughs> but then did you see the sequel? I did. I didn't mind it. I it liked, was pretty good. I, you know, Kathy Bates is always good. <laughs> I don't really remember it that much. No, so. they bring him back, though. He is an adult now. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I remember him as an adult. And yeah. he's still innocent, of course. Right. And, and he, he, yeah, he takes a bus and he goes to see him. Yeah. He doesn't bring a jacket. He goes to Chicago. He doesn't have a jacket. He doesn't have anything. He just comes out there and he's, like, walking around. Right. Hi, I came to see you. He's I in think, a rickshaw or I something. I think the guy who directed <laughs> Ghost World directed that scene. I forget. It's, I like Ghost World a lot. <laughs> man, that's going to drive me nuts. i got to figure out who did that. Well, I know Ghost World, that was based on Daniel Close's book. It's a comic book. I think, oh, yeah, it was the guy who, I can't remember his name, though, now. Yeah, he directed oh, Bad no. Santa, though. This is the beauty of cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> see, we right. can cheat a little bit. Terry Zweigoff. Yep. Yeah. 
He's got a name that sounds like he does independent comic yeah, books, like he, underground comics. He didn't write the film. I was say, oh, Terry Zweigoff sounds like he's making sausage. University somewhere. of Wisconsin Madison. Well, yeah. <laughs> not, I may not be far off. Everyone in cold country makes movies because they have nothing else to do. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're talking about locations. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, you guys probably relate. Like, used to watch these all those westerns because they did them all on the back lot of all those studios, right? Oh, yeah, go to yeah, Rancho yeah. or whatever, and then they had like this. Because I remember I read Clayton Moore's book, and he talks about where they used to do a lot of these Lone Ranger things. And it's like you see the same rocks, you see the same hills, and then all of a sudden you're watching like one of those movie serials, right? Like we're on yeah. the, It's like, why does the moon look like Arizona, and why does the moon look like Utah? You know, right? <laughs> or you'd see like, or you'd see one of those, and then you'd see like Star Trek and go, why does the foreign planet look like the thing from the Western? Here? Right. It's amazing how much the rolling hills of California look nothing at all like Lithuania. Right. <laughs> But there was like I guess the time to be on the lot was like like the one time in nineteen sixty seven ish or so, Planet of the Apes was shooting on the same lot as Star Trek as all these others. Yeah. Well, to me, it, it reminds me of the scene from Blazing Saddles mm-hmm. when they're fighting through all the different movie sets. It's like, oh, that's yeah, funny. that's great fourth wall stuff. I, I like when they reuse sets. It's very interesting because you got to be creative, man. When your budget, well, you probably know, you know, your yeah. budget gets a certain way, and you go, okay, we got to redress this, and yeah. and that to me, that's a that's an art in itself. I mean, I I watch a lot of these special feature things about how they make stuff and Blade Runner and how they did these the miniatures for Blade Runner and and all this kind of stuff and. I mean, they actually flooded the set. All that rain, I guess, was real, and they said it was a miserable shoot, but it, yeah. they got Any, the effect, you know? Anytime you do, usually you do a rain set, it's like they have sprinkler systems, and the drops are bigger than normal rain. Cause, yeah. Uh, see it. Yeah, you, you normally you can't see it. So. I actually just watched a movie, The Farewell, and they had this scene where everyone's walking around with umbrellas, but you can't see the rain. So I'm like, are they doing this on purpose? It's right. So, just to see if you're watching. Yeah. You think of again, like budgets wise, like I was talking about Star Trek, <coughs> and compare like the original Star Trek, which budget probably wasn't even a million, to like something like Game of Thrones now, which is like forty million. Mm. It's just amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, independent versus you know the standard studio too, and TV was just different back then. Yeah. But that's one thing we really don't talk about as much because actually one of my next, I go in streaks with movies and we don't talk about foreign films that much. And next thing I was going to do is revisit Fellini for a little while. Okay. I haven't seen enough Fellini, but I can talk foreign films. Oh, yeah. What are some of your favorite? Well, I've seen most of his and I just want to do that again because I go, like, another one I watch is Fast Binders one. Okay. He did 400 Blows? Is that his? Yeah. I've seen that. No, Truffaut was 400 Blows. Oh, Truffaut. All right. Yeah. And I have Satyricon, but I yeah, keep... Werner Herzog. Okay. But who's, like, for, in terms of foreign films, do you have any favorites? Um, I'm partial to a French director called Patrice Leconte. Um, he made a couple movies. They're all, like, the name... It's, like, Girl on a Bridge, Man on a Train. I don't know. It's I've like, seen Girl, oh, on, a Girl on a Bridge. Is that one with Keitel and Mira Servino? No, that was no. Uh, Vanessa Paradis. Oh, yeah, that Vanessa was, Paradis. Uh, the, the mother of Johnny Depp's children. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> But there was I, one called The Soft Skin. I think it was a French yeah. movie that was really good so, that I saw. Um, I'm trying to think of one. 
One thing, I look at a lot of foreign films that I go, you couldn't make these in America. Because I'll look at them and go, okay, the way the ending is, there's no way they would do this here. We'd have to get changed. I actually ran into that with my film. Like, um, I had a Swedish company look at it, and they said, we could sell this if you were not American. (laughs) Did you start trying to work on the accents? No, they're just like, you know, when people watch an American movie, they have certain expectation. When they watch a foreign film, they have certain expectation. You know, and if, like... They're going into like a foreign film, thinking, "Okay, it's like this kind of artsy avant-garde thing." Right? You know, I don't know if they were pulling my leg, but it actually kind of does make sense. But they actually had there was a commercial years ago where these it's like a beer commercial. These two dudes are watching a foreign film, and there's a clown, there's a clown looking at a dandelion and crying. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have like they turn it off, and they have explosions. Like, ah, no, that's a movie. (laughs) That's artsy fartsy for you. But I had I had a weird. This is. Well, how would you categorize like the good, the bad, and the ugly? Are we categorizing that as a foreign film, or are we categorizing it's, that as? An well, American I think spaghetti movie? western has its own kind of a subject. I had a weird. Now, this is probably way wrong, but I had a weird revelation one time watching The Deer Hunter. Okay. Where I'm watching it, going, you know, you couldn't make a movie like this nowadays because no. the audience wouldn't have the patience. Okay. Because you. Have, well, I mean, I don't know. The audience didn't have the patience for Roma, but I think, like, I loved Roma, but at the same time, if anything tests your patience, that's that movie. What is this? Roma. Roma. That was one best foreign film last year. Oh. It was oh. nominated for Best Picture. It's it's a very slow-moving, uh, I think, I don't even know the name of the director now. I feel, Karan, Karan did yeah. yeah. And everything he does is kind of like that avant-garde, slow-moving. I just couldn't see watching The Deer Hunter, how they had almost three acts and the way they set it up, and all I figured these days... They would have to get right to the action scene, <laughs> which is yeah. which is kind of ironic considering movies these days are getting longer and longer. But well, they're just Irishman's, more action packed. Irishman's three what, hours and thirty. What minutes. year was Deer Hunter? Deer Hunter uh, was seventy eight. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. And Michael Cimini. Yep. Yeah. Because then he yeah, did Heaven's Gate, which we'll, we won't talk about. I guess <laughs> I guess John Cassell and Meryl Streep were dating at the time. That's yeah, they were, and I guess yeah. he died. He passed away. Yeah. It's one of my favorite trivia questions. Yeah. It's like, what actor every single movie he's ever been in was nominated for Best Picture? It's John Cassell. Oh, so, yeah. it, it's funny too because like when I, a lot of times when I watch or you know listen to commentaries or the special feature things, all the time the director constantly says, "I love this scene. This was a great scene. We really had it down." But in the interest of moving the movie along, in the interest of moving the, you know, it's always like this, the minute the movie slows down, it's like this horrible thing. It's like you can't, sometimes you got to stop and I'll let give, the thing I'll give you a good go, example. you know, and breathe. I saw the director's cut of The Big Red One, and I thought that movie was far superior to the one that was released. Okay. And they do. That's exactly what they do. They slow it down a little. They elaborate, but it really adds more to the story. Right, and that's good. And then you kind of go up and down, and, you know, you can, you're emotional. It, you're invested a little more because there's a lot of stuff going on. When you just, If it's slam, bam, you know, bang, loud shit all the time. Well, I could write a movie right <laughs> here for to... you. The, the current movie is you start off with the big action scene. Then you sort of try to get, like, a semblance of a very harebrained plot. Then you do the, ba- the bad guys start winning. The good guys regroup, come back. They have the big battle at the end. That's pretty much it. These oh, days. you gave me a great idea. I, I, you, I thought like start with this huge action sequence and then just 
the film just got slower and slower and slower <laughs> yeah. until it was just like until abs- at the very end absolutely at a crawl at the end <laughs> until at the very end it's just that final <laughs> shot of the clown holding the dandelion yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no like, what we do we have the big action scene like for 15-20 minutes then the dudes just talk at the bar afterwards about it the rest of the film that's how I felt about Saving Private Ryan. I actually just wish the movie was all D-Day. Well, I just didn't like the photography. I'm almost, I'm, I mean, the yeah, photography bothered me in that. There was, like, based on the Fighting Sullivans, I think, a little bit, maybe. Did anybody see 1917 yet? I, I wanted no. to see that. No, I, I saw the trailers. It looks looks like it could be good. Well, that Sam Mendes directed it, yeah, and I, apparently I read something. It, it was, was in the reviews. 1916 or 1918, I well, yeah. like, <laughs> nineteen seventeen. Well, they're calling it nineteen seventeen. No, but the the problem <laughs> I had, I saw the when Midway, the whole thing about Midway right. came out. I was like real excited because I love history movies. Then I saw the trailers that based on the untold true events. Like, we know what happened. How is it? <laughs> what is untold? We know That's what a happened. Good question for anybody who wants to answer. <laughs> like, I actually really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I admit that. I oh, really that liked, was great. I thought it was great. But what do you think about Tarantino's take on history? Sometimes. No, I. You th- mean that didn't happen? I, th- didn't I think from a dramatic standpoint, I liked it just because you're in. T- I sat down watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and uh, I don't want to like. I don't want a little, spoiler I mean, from them. But I had an whole. It's out on DVD. I had an entire anticipation of like how the thing was going to end, and then it was, you know, just it was just kind of refreshingly new. That's the thing about that that where I admit I won't give away the ending, but I will say one thing sort of at the ending. I actually started laughing at the ending. No, I think it was a. I was laughing my head off. It was a very funny scene. Brad Pitt reminded me of the dude he played in True Romance for a couple seconds. Okay. Which thought, was written by Tarantino. But I so. thought Brad Pitt really sort of stole the movie myself. Yeah. I, I thought he was the best one in it. Put Vanilla Fudge back on the map with that scene at the end. Where you, <laughs> they're killing everybody, and they got to keep fudge. me hanging on playing uh, in the back. I was a fan of the dog, actually. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, oh, the, the dog, dog was, was great. great. <laughs> yeah. But I just love Brad Pitt's character. How he gets wasted, goes, walks the dog. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the sequence when they go up to the, what was the name of the ranch? Was, Spawn. Yeah, the Spawn movie ranch. and. I think that was pretty wild with all the hippies. And I was actually so, reading a big article on it about all the little things you can Burt, catch. In Burt Reynolds was supposed to play that role, and then he died. Yeah. That's yeah. actually a movie I have to bring up that I really liked. Was you ever see The Last Movie Star? Yeah. No. I think I did. I, it's a story. It's actually... So the Last Starfighter. Is that kind of... <laughs> oh, no. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> but The Last Movie Star is Burt Reynolds basically almost plays a character that's himself. Oh, wasn't that his last movie? That it, was it turn, it, But what it turns out is he gets invited to some, like, film festival. It's like a little dingy film fest in somebody's basement. Oh, okay. And he's a big egomaniac still. And what they do is they show clips from his, like, Deliverance, his old movies. Sure, sure. And he just goes, walks around town. It's almost like he almost knew... Seems like he almost knew he was gonna die or something. Yeah. Because at the end, he just sort of looks at the camera and does that trademark smile. Mm-hmm. But it's about somebody who used to be a big star and now he's not. But I thought it was really poignant, especially for a last movie for someone. Well, but it was just sad to see him that way. I'm trying to think I of the think. last movie I saw him in. Might have been Boogie Nights. <laughs> Strip Which I thought he was very good. Oh, he was very good. Yeah. I always think of those Dirk Diggler. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, he was very he could he could act. It's just he got caught up in he says that he really regrets turning that he actually got offered one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. And he turned it down. Yeah. I just know Ken Kesey was really mad about Nicholson being in that. He said oh. that the person he thought would have been perfect would have been Gene Hackman. Okay. 
And I have read the book, and the book doesn't look the, like him. Oh, no, Gene Hackman's amazingly versatile. I think, you know, if you jump from, and sometimes you don't think of him as being versatile, but if, uh, what's the Wes Anderson movie? Royal Tenenbaums. That's a great, I was just going to mention you go that. From I have him, that. him in Royal Tenenbaums to him in, like, The Conversation, which was the Coppola movie, and then yep. obviously more his standard movie, which was, like, Unforgiven. But, French uh, Connection. Back yeah. In the day. He could go, oh, like, sometimes movie. it's surprising yeah. when you'll see an actor and go, wow, he's playing a villain this time, but Gene Hackman could play good guys, bad guys, yeah. character parts. You know who it won, like, it me, for me is Ed Harris. When did he play a villain other than The Rock, but he really wasn't a villain? <laughs> National Treasure. <laughs> you know, I've never actually seen National Treasure. I think the... History of Violence? Oh, he was, yeah. Was, was it? A, okay, yeah. I liked History of Violence. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily liked that Harris in that movie. Yeah. I think the movie I really liked him in was Apollo 13. Yeah, he was so, good in that. Um, but Did anybody see The Mexican with Brad Pitt? The Mexican. Julia, I've actually not seen Gene Hackman, Julia Roberts. Oh, my God. It's so funny. It's, it's a very surreal... It's one of those surreal kind of goofy movies it's like he he he's in mexico and he's looking him he, julia uh, roberts is his girlfriend she throws him out it was like a one yeah it's a 90s 93 or so and he's looking for this pistol there's this pistol that he's looking for and it's just like this weird movie and there's a there's like this one scene where they show this like crossroads and there's a traffic light there and it's like the scene, it just keeps popping up. The scene, there's a, somebody sitting at the traffic light, and it's like there's nothing around, and they're sitting there waiting for the light to change. It's like a weird... You should check it out. It's a pretty funny movie. you ever seen movie. Twilight, too? That's the one where Paul Newman gets shot in the nuts. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought you meant the second Twilight. Not the yeah, vampire like, no. movies, not the sparkly vampire. I watched but the vampire Gene <laughs> I made it to one. I made it through a trailer. Yeah. I, I watched them all. Were they good? <laughs> I didn't mind them. Just, Which one? You know, it depends what you're in the mood for. Twilight, the goofy, glittery vampire movie. Oh, so what, I didn't watch that. What's those. the Gene Hackman movie? Twilight. 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 It's just called Twilight. It's like a detective noir movie. Paul Newman, Reese Wither, young Reese Witherspoon. And it's like, I think she vanishes or gets killed. Wow. And I then know. they have the parents yeah, try to ever find out. I feel awful. I've never heard of it, so. Yeah, hey, Paul Newman and Gene Hackman. So it's <laughs> which is a, a combination you'd think we'd remember. Yeah, but. Gene Hackman, Paul Newman, and Reese Witherspoon. But. Yeah, but I like that. It was a good one. But that's a question I'll ask since we mentioned Wes Anderson. Is there any current director who, when he puts something out, you really go, "I really want to see that" because it's another one of his films? Uh, Wes Anderson for me would be one. Uh, would be one. Yeah, he's great. Well, I I say my three. Um, I have. I think right now. I think Christopher Nolan's the best director in the world. Um, so I would watch anything. But see his new movie Tenet coming out. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Well, I didn't even have to Doctor Who. So. I picked up Dunkirk and I haven't watched it yet. I like but, Dunkirk. I like see, Dunkirk a lot. Dunkirk, I saw on IMAX twice, and so I'm, that was amazing on IMAX. So I gotta I see. Don't this. know what it's like watching it at home. Did you I'd, see Interstellar in yeah. IMAX? Yeah, that was cool. I watched Interstellar. I watched Interstellar. It's like I don't think I have the knowledge. To understand movie. what yeah. these guys are rambling about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did a lot of like I read a lot of astrophysics for a while and I read a lot of Stephen Hawking. So like all those concepts they yeah. were like yeah. nothing to me. So like I loved Interstellar, but I, I couldn't imagine going into that movie. Although if you watched it and you'd be like, Okay, why does this make sense? I was forever I thought that was I was really forever cool. like sort of tarnished on Inception just because there's one guy at the bar 
who kept insisting it wasn't like for the average person who tried to well, keep explaining the levels of it to me. Well, that's what I mean. And I was like, I understood it fine, yeah, dude. If you Shut watch up. it, it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense. It's not it's as difficult movie. as everybody what, made it up. Inception. Inception. Yeah. yeah. I made sense of Inception, but I couldn't get through it a second time. Maybe I'll try to watch it again. No, but they're like, oh, it's so deep. I was like, it's really not well, though. It's deep in the person's mind. Maybe. Well, I had I had oh, yeah. enough of my reading from my science reading that I could get Interstellar, especially yeah. the bending. Well, the stuff. movie you have to watch from Nolan, which a lot of people haven't seen, was his first movie. He did it about on an eight thousand dollar budget. The one before Fo- Momento. Yes, yeah. Following, which actually I would put in his top oh, five. Following, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's called Following, not the no no article. Oh, but, yeah, I saw. Uh, it. If was... you can dig it up, I mean, you probably could find it in the library. Yeah, I think oh, I got. Wow. I, I think well, I got it so out of the library. There's a top. Really, they actually put. I think on one version of Memento, they stick it on there as an extra. Oh, do they? Did he do The Machinist? No. No, that was someone else. What a, I could probably write, write through his movies. So he went from following to Memento to Insomnia. Yeah, so probably Batman Begins to The Prestige to Prestige. Dark Knight. To, Prestige was a cool movie. I like to Inception to Dark Knight Rises yep, to Interstellar to Dunkirk to Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. These movies nice. tend to be big, but see, yeah. they're big and they're not, well, you know, they're yeah. big and it takes a while to shoot. Well, I think that's what it helped him with, uh, you know, once he started doing Batman, people got used to watching him in, like, high-budget films. And, and it was then, a different thing where he tried to make Batman as much as you could in the real world. Yeah. Where there yeah. weren't these guys with magical powers or anything else. Or, and he was involved with Man of Steel, which was why Man of Steel was good, and then the rest of them sucked after that. So. <laughs> Who did um was it Wes Anderson did Isle of Dogs right? Yep. That movie is awesome. Yeah. If you've never seen that, I, I love the animation style. The yeah. voice casting was incredible. I just caught up on Wes Anderson movies like a couple months ago. I, 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 I watched. I, I had never a, seen was it the Aquatic Life of Steve? Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorites. I yeah. went on a kick of his, so I watched that. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, another favorite. Yeah, because I'd never seen it. That's the one Darjeeling I can't get into. I I sat down and watched that. That's too. the one I can't get. But the thing I liked about Life Aquatic is it takes the idea you said where. I, actually, I didn't know where it was going to go. I thought there were similarities between actually Life Aquatic and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the sense that... You did not know where it was going to go. Well, in the sense that here's this guy who has an established career and now he thinks, oh my God, my career's over and he's sitting around worrying about how he's going to jumpstart his career. So yeah, in that sense, the plots are similar. But And the funny part was, it's like some of my friends for a Halloween show they played, they dressed up as the crew, and they got a real kick out of the rare people who knew who they were. It's like, ah, you're supposed to be Hans! <laughs> so, Greg, I have a question for you. Okay. As a, as a maker, filmmaker, producer, whatever, mm-hmm. when you watch movies... Can you separate yourself from the? Ooh, I wonder. That's oh, I see the lighting there, and I see what they. No, did I don't. There. I don't think you ever can. So, like, I mean, you can still watch down and enjoy it, but as soon as you start looking at anything from a technical side, my dad did yeah. the same like, thing. You, you can also sit there and you're just calculating budget and how much yeah. money you can make on this. So, <laughs> right. So my dad yeah. did the same thing. Where like we saw Indiana Jones because he did film stuff. He would say, "Okay, this is editing here. This is that there." Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think you ever can. Well, it's like that with music too. I mean, I hear a record. I can, ooh, I hear the, the way they produce this and the sound there and the way the drums sound. I mean, you hear it as a whole, but in, you still there's a part of your brain that's splitting it all apart. And it's very interesting how that works as a creator. So, but yeah, back to your original question. Probably the three people I would watch just on director recognition alone. It would have gone from Nolan to Tarantino to Ang Lee, actually. I, oh, yeah. For a while, I had Ang Lee as the best director in the world. His last couple kind of. 
Not the Although Hulk, have, though. Not the I Hulk. haven't watched <laughs> Billy Lynn's long walk home. I try to get out of the library. It's I don't know. Thing. I kind of liked his Hulk movie. Yeah. You yeah. would. I didn't. <laughs> I don't Hulk know. You could argue about. about that one. <laughs> you know, when I first moved out to L.A., they were shooting the Hulk, and it was like the last week, and I was so sad because I was like, I just want to be on set with Ang Lee and say, like, you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing now, especially most Americans just think of him as that movie, but he did. He had a really interesting career yeah. outside of that. Watch some of his early stuff when he's kind of doing like these Chinese American movies. He went, I think his first movie was called Pushing Hands, and then he did um, The Wedding Banquet, and then he did Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Yeah, and from Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, he went to Sense and Sensibility, <laughs> and is... then he jumped to Ice Storm, and then he jumped to. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I forgot he did Ice Storm. And then he jumped to uh, Hulk. Yeah. And then from Hulk, I don't know. Where Brokeback went. Mountain in there Broke somewhere? Mountain. And then he went to Brokeback Mountain. Then he went to uh, Life of Pi. So it's, uh, that was an interesting That was a good yeah, one. Life so of Pi. I want to read the book. The last one he did, Gemini Man. That was kind of... Was that the one with Will Smith? Yeah. I wonder if that was well, based on Gemini. Smith, actually. So. But there was a there uh, was yeah, a double Will Smith. There was a, I think it was, it was a Chinese Japanese called Gemini about, but it was more of an evil twin, yeah. same type of thing. Um, on that, on he, should, he should stay away from astrology. But on that, I like the. For me, if I'm going to go for a director and just watch their filmography, I go. I tend to go foreign. Mm. Like uh, Park Chan Wook, I'm a big fan. Man. He did uh, the Vengeance trilogy, the original Old yeah. Boy. Okay. Uh, Snowpiercer, he did. All right, I saw Snowpiercer. What yeah. did? Oh, he... Parasite's Thirst. supposed to be like huge. Like that's a big. That's been on a lot of the best of. Even though I don't read the lists. Zhang Yimou. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Abby he Dill. did a lot of neat movies. I mean, those are always fun though. Yeah. But as always, it's been interesting. Is oh, but by the way, before we leave, since tomorrow is Orthodox Christmas, and we have a threat from our sponsor, we have a gift to open. He said, "Open on air or perish." <laughs> <laughs> did we go through the hour already? Just it goes fast. So, Rob, here's for you. Uh-oh. And we have to describe it because okay. obviously we're too This says Rob on this is open on Christmas. Well, well, no, the note, very long. the note literally <laughs> says open on air only or perish. Uh, That's good. And it's, uh, oh, it's, it's a, a shirt. shirt. <laughs> it looks like it says. Oh, shit. That fell. Nosferatu. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's, nice. A, it's a gray shirt with a dark Nosferatu on it. Brains. I got the. It's oh like the Heinz logo, great. which is Brains, nineteen sixty eight virus, Pittsburgh, PA, zombie capital <laughs> of the world. Can I see yours again? That's and a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Our sponsor does find some. But Greg, number things. one, any plugs? Even though <laughs> you're that playing a lot this month, aren't cool. you? Me? Yeah. I, well, I just got off of three. Cool. I played at uh, Iron Smoke. With, uh, we shared the bill with uh, cool. with the Jerry Falzone Liars Moon Band, which was really good. And then uh, what's your band? Anonymous Willpower. Okay. And then, One of them. Yeah. And then Friday I played with another band. I played with the Brian Lindsay band at Murph's for a happy hour. And then last night I played at Angry Goat with a duo playing electronic drums and singing a bunch of lame songs. So, <laughs> yeah! Hey, Angry Goat's like my... I picked up oh, 90 bucks singing lame songs. Well, so there I, used, you go. I used to work at the cinema. And then it was, oh, yeah. at the time it was Elixir and I used to get off work and walk across the street to Elixir. Yeah. Yes. I, I yeah, remember... Because we were old Dublin D's always, yeah. always remember. I remember when it was Friends and Players and we used to do a lot of stuff back then. But why is the, the goat so angry still? Does he have I issues? I really don't know. Goats are <laughs> amazing. Just innately angry you, alien you creatures. You feel should change the name. Like the maybe a little bit more happy goat. Passive-aggressive goat. Yeah, yeah. passive-aggressive <laughs> goat. <laughs> the Xanax goat. Midlife crisis goat. Yeah, totally yeah. crisis goat. But <laughs> so nothing you're thinking four? of doing, so I know you're recutting your film. Yeah. 
Anything on the horizon or down you the mean line? Anything else? Well, I told you we tried to get up that other movie, and we were we got everyone except the the editor and the, the strategy that we did. But yeah, I'm looking to go to film school, so I'm trying to do more about politics. And where can you? Because I mean, I've seen your movie a couple times, and this actually, it's a couple of parts I really laughed at. Yeah. Parts I thought were really clever. Yeah. It's interesting. And where can people find it? Can they find um, it anywhere? Um, we're hoping to put it up on Amazon in a couple months. Um, so it's called three point one four. So if you want to watch it, very that'd cool. be great. Thank and you for plugging it, Rob. Oh, as always, that's what we're here for. <laughs> but the one thing I'll anything, Zach. I'll leave with one thing. I my friend, nothing. my friend's Ben Katie's starting a music school, and there was a benefit we had recently. And one of our friends, Camian O'Haro, uh, she's leaving us to go to L.A. to pursue her music career more, and bless her and everything, and I'll miss her. Mm-hmm. But this has nothing to do with movies. But I was just because I miss you, Cami, already, and. I'm going to play a track from your new album. It's Cami and Harrow in Dessert. Dessert's the backup band. And it's mm-hmm. called Winter Solstice, which a little late, but it's probably snowing horribly by the time this is out. So thanks a lot, everybody. Greg, Greg Squared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Greg Squared. <laughs> <See ya. laughs> He's 